Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast, produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we'll all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know how to feel, what to do, or even how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, We hope these podcast conversations will lead to a better understanding of grief and ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those that you care about. While most of us don't know when we'll die, for some people, that question becomes more real and immediate after the diagnosis of an advanced serious illness. In that moment, and the many that follow, death is no longer a far-off hypothetical. Faced with this reality, families especially families with young children, can feel a sense of urgency to capture the essence of the person who is dying as a way to try to create a legacy and to hang on to who that person is and what they mean in the world. Rebecca Hobbs Lawrence spends her work days talking with families about this painful and difficult process. She's the coordinator of the Dougie Center's Pathways Program for Families Facing an Advanced Serious Illness. In her work, she's learned a lot about how families choose to create these legacies through conversations and activities to document the person and their relationships, along with their hopes and dreams and love for their children and others in their lives. Rebecca, thanks for being a guest again. I'm glad to be here, Jana. Rebecca's voice might be familiar to you because she's also shared her wisdom in two or maybe three of our past episodes, (laughs) one that focuses on helping grieving children and adults who have a developmental disability, And another one for families, um, which is kind of timely now with the approach of the holiday season. And then another one that neither one of us can remember, maybe grieving siblings? Grieving siblings, I think, but not sure. (laughs) I'll do some research and I'll I'll list those in our show notes. They may just have to listen to them all over again. (laughs) But thanks, Rebecca, for letting me coerce you back onto the show. (laughs) And I know we have a lot of things to share with listeners about activities and ways that families who are dealing with an advanced serious illness can start to create these legacies. Mm -hmm. But before we go professional, I'd like to start with personal. And I know that your dad died when you were 11 and he died of cancer. And I'm curious for you, how did the concept of having a legacy or creating a legacy play out in that experience? With my father's death, I I didn't even know what a legacy was. It wasn't talked about. My father was sick for six months, and um, no one ever told me he was dying until the day before. So I there was no opportunity for neither him nor I to create that legacy or that attachment I so desperately wanted later on. My legacies of him really have to do with the things that he left that were important to him. His fishing ties. He was an avid fly fisherman, and he spent a great deal of time fly fishing and um, tying those flies around me when I was a child. I'd ride my bicycle around him (laughs) while while he was was, um, (laughs) tying flies. I have a little box of his fishing flies. I have a pair of his boots that he wore out fishing. Um, Those are my mementos, but really that, that piece, his biggest legacies for me is just how he lived his life and how he fought his illness. 
um, I wish I had more. And the opportunity I have had now as an adult um, with other people in my life who have died is to be more thoughtful and proactive in both helping them leave something that might be meaningful for them as well as what's going to be meaningful for me. And usually for me, that's around stories and capturing those, um, which I've had the opportunity to do with my grandparents. Well, that's an interesting concept that, you know, we haven't even really defined what legacy means. Right. And that what somebody wants or craves after someone in their life dies or is in the process of dying can be as unique as they are. Yes. As you mentioned for you, stories are really important. And what are some other ways that families create legacies? There are so many wonderful things. There are um, pictures, photos, scrapbooks, um, recipe books are incredibly powerful for a lot of people. I have my grandmothers. Now with the digital age, there's so much around online or apps that people can use. I mean, Facebook, a lot of people still use Facebook, not still, continue to use Facebook as a a way to share memories after someone has died. And then Facebook sometimes likes to share memories with you when you were not expecting expecting them. So there's the other side of that. Absolutely. I have a couple adults in my group and they have, have let me share this with other people as well. I have a mom who has created emails for her children, separate emails. And so she'll take pictures of them just out and about places with captions mm-hmm. and send them off to those emails so that later on they will be able to open those emails and have just this legacy that she has left of this is you at the beach. I'm, I'm so enjoying you playing in the, in the water right now. Or this is us at Build-A-Bear. And I remember when you picked out this bear and the little pink dress on it. So and are these like draft emails that someone else will send after she dies? She has created an email account for both of them with passwords and has left the passwords with her sister so that when she is no longer here, they will have access, full access to those emails. So they're actual emails that have gone into this account that she's sending them that they'll be able to open up. So they'll get them all at once. They'll just log in. They'll log in and they can, and they can open up whichever they want to. You know, there's a heading, like you send an email, there's a heading. And so be like day at the beach, day at Build-A-Bear, your birthday, Christmas Eve, they'll be able to choose what they want to open up and win. That's amazing how much, just in the 15 years that I've been doing this work, how much it's changed with technology. So I remember one of my first years here at the Dougie Center, there was a kiddo whose parent had been sick his entire life, like Mm -hmm. from the moment he was born. And the dad knew that he was going to die at some point. So he worked with the grandfather to write letters for all the significant birthdays and future events, and then bought a gift for every holiday and every birthday in advance. So this kid every year would get to open up a present from his dad. And now so much of it, I mean, you could still do that, but it's amazing what's available digitally. Digitally online. I have a dad who um, just, you know, spends some time recording himself. So he'll pick a theme, your first date, or... Um, when you're going to learn to shave for his son. <laughs> and he'll just do like a little instructional video. It's or, dad YouTube. It is. And, you know, like, so when you go to shave, this is what you need to know. And some of them are celebratory. So it might be a birthday on this, you know, birthday when you're turning 16. 
you know, if you go to learn to drive a car now, this is what you need to remember about driving a car and take your responsibility very seriously about driving a car. So he's doing those father kind of statements and words of wisdom that he won't be here to give him in person, but he feels that he will still be able to share that with him on those important milestones. Have you had many conversations with, because the families you work with are still in the process of that death is approaching, hasn't Mm -hmm, quite happened, but you've also worked for many years in our bereavement groups. And I'm curious, has anyone been like, ah, that's too much. Like, I don't really want all this information or it's kind of, it's really hard. I mean, I see that definitely in our pathways groups. Um, these are families who've been here for a while and have been going through that process, that journey of learning to come to terms in some way that they will not be here as long as they had hoped to be. But I think especially upon that initial news of finding out that you have a, a terminal diagnosis, it can be incredibly overwhelming to feel like you're fighting for life still, fighting for treatments, experimental treatments, new drugs, whatever it might be to keep you here longer with your children. And at the same time saying, okay, but I'm going to prepare for when I'm not here. And what does that look like? I think for a lot of adults, that's incredibly hard to feel like they're in two places at once. There's some dissonance there, almost as a sense of, if I start preparing these ways of communicating to my children and my family who I am once I'm no longer here in my physical form, that I'm almost accepting defeat in Mm -hmm. the face of this illness. Absolutely. And for most parents, they will fight to the bitter end. And so to help them come to a place of that you can do both, it's not either or. Um, So a lot of my conversation with them is around, we are all going to be in this place. And I think it's helpful if we can all kind of look at it as what do we want to leave? What do we want to say about ourselves and about the people around us? And not think of it in terms of I'm almost out of time, but right now that I have the time to do this. I have the capacity to do this. I have the memories to do this um, because treatments and medications certainly impact memory. So to help them kind of prepare for it as, This isn't the end in any way, shape, or form. However, this is a great opportunity while you still are able to be able to share as much as possible. It makes me wonder, too, what could happen if we were able to change the conversation and change the approach of these are only things we do once we've been diagnosed with a terminal illness and death is imminent. Versus what if just as we're living, we're documenting who we are and what we value at different stages in our life so that if we were to die at any moment, the people who care about us would have this roadmap of who we were. Absolutely. And I know I'm um, very much a person of like, I don't have time to do so many things. You know, we're, we're a culture of on the move constantly. But if we were able to just take a moment and be present and say, what was special about today? Um, These were meaningful conversations I had with these people. This is a lesson I learned today. Um, Today I had to apologize. Those can be really powerful statements to leave to your children or to other people in your life too. But as, as parents that I serve, those are the kind of lessons that children so desperately want to know too. Like what was it that made my parent able to get through something 
you know, what would be your words of encouragement for me when I'm having a really hard day? I just flunked my math test. What would you tell me? Or the boy I really like didn't take me out on a date like I wanted him to. Um, How would you comfort me in that situation? Exactly. And so to be able to say in just those quiet moments, even of like, this is what was special about my day today seems like that could take some of the pressure off of these legacy activities as well. When if someone comes in thinking, I have to have words of wisdom, like I have to say everything that my child is going to need to live the rest of their life successfully. Like that's a lot because I mean, who's going to, these are things that change over time. Yep. And so to remember that the things that are most meaningful to kids and adults who are left behind is just knowing the day-to-day things that made this person special and unique. And how we were special to them. I would have loved to have had a moment captured that showed my dad just playing with me in some way. That would have been really special to have. And I think the thing about doing that in the here and now also is that it can build communication within the families here and now. Um, Because improved communication now also enhances memories and attachment later on. So that the more we do our work now, Actually, the better our families, I don't say grieve later on, but certainly I think the better they stay attached as well to us um, when we're no longer physically here. It's almost that process of creating the legacies of their interactive activities can help to strengthen the relationship in the moment. Absolutely. And what are some of the legacy activities that you guys have been doing? Well, we have done everything from just creating short stories Um, so it's something around what was your first job? And so creating this little story around that for their kids, interacting where the kids are the interviewers, the reporters. And so they have a little checklist of like, what's your favorite animal? If you're a superhero, what would you be? Um, what's your favorite color and why? We have done things around planting gardens together, picking a favorite flower and why cooking is a huge one. Everybody pick their favorite recipe and share a memory that you have around that and create a meal of your favorite foods together. Are people documenting this along the way too? Like, are there videos happening or audio recordings? Sometimes it's video. Sometimes it's audio. Often what they're also doing is just creating a short, like with the recipe, they might say, this is my favorite recipe and just documenting like a picture with it. This is all of us eating our food together. It doesn't have to get, again, be complex in any way. Often just the snapshots in time, but when there is intention around the sharing of it, that becomes its own memory um, and it can be easily accessed um, by a picture or a short little sentence in a scrapbook. So it could be less about the the details of what you're doing and more about the intention and the presence that you're bringing to it. Right. I think one of the things we want to work on often is just around those pieces of sharing those aspects of ourselves that often we think are mundane and there's a lot of grace and beauty in the mundane. I think often parents feel like it's not important enough so they don't share those pieces and just sitting around and saying, I remember my best day, um, summer day when I was 12. I remember making my first pie. I remember what it was like standing in the garage and watching my dad tie fishing flies. Um, When you can have those conversations together and you take the time to actually sit down 
to to talk about it. And it can happen over dinner. One of the things my, my grandfather told me often was that they never did write down stories because they were always sitting together talking growing up. You know, his legacies from his own grandparents were in story form. And he shared so many with me. Um, and what it taught me was that I, I have this awareness now in my own family that I don't sit down long enough to have those mundane conversations with my kids and how important they are. What do they know about me, really know about me, if I'm not sharing those details with them? Or what do they know about the people that came before me that still provide such a foundation for who they are in this world? Yeah, and those little things can be a lot more accessible because as you're talking, I'm just imagining if there's a situation where there's a family and there is a diagnosis and there's a lot happening around treatment and care and maybe there's some teens in the family and it's just too intense to like sit down with mom or dad and have a conversation about like, tell me who you are and share your mm-hmm. character with me. It might just be, te- you know, teens might be like, I'm out. I don't want to be right. doing that. So just sneaking in those little conversations about more day-to-day things might feel less emotionally overwhelming, particularly for teenagers. It's not as charged. And you're right. I mean, especially around teens who often want to um, not be around mom or dad, especially as illness progresses. It's just really difficult that the more you can do that is not emotionally charged, more people want to will come together to talk if there isn't that sense of urgency and that we have to create something special right now. Right now in the moment. Mm -hmm. That usually doesn't work well for the specialist part. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I'm wondering about is families who are in this situation, they have so many things that they have to do. You know, caregivers are totally overloaded and exhausted and families are just kind of scrambling to just make it through the day. Yep. I'm wondering, because we get a lot of calls from people like, my friend's family is going through this. I want to be supportive. What can I do? And I wonder about the the ways that support people can mm-hmm. be creating these legacies or helping the person who has the illness to create the legacy, because it might be a step removed and less emotionally volatile for that actual person with the illness, yes. too. So a couple of things would be when you're with the family taking out your phone. Most of us have phones now that you can take pictures with, but taking some pictures being that that third person outside of the circle a little bit who can see an interaction happening between a parent and a child or between two adults even, but but creating um, a space where they can take some of those moments and capture them on a picture and save them where that they then later on maybe create the scrapbook or, or at least hand them off to a family. Another thing would be offering to go buy cards for different occasions for a person say, I'd be happy to go purchase these cards and help you write something in them for later, not have it feel overwhelming. Or would you like me to purchase any gifts for you? So it can be some of those bigger items, maybe those special items for certain celebrations, certain milestones that they can help with, but it can also be just in the the day to day. One of the things that I did actually with with my kids and their grandfather was singing a song and capturing it on my phone, just having them all sing together, recording conversations. So many people talk about just wishing they had that voice that they could hear again. And in the moment, you're not you don't think about it yourself to record it. 
but that might be something that somebody else who's not quite emotionally invested in the same way can come in and hear a conversation that might sound very tender in some way and find it meaningful and be able to just record it very quietly. And you don't even have to tell somebody about it necessarily until it's done. So nobody feels like they're performing, you know, it's an after the fact and then ask permission. Is this something you would like? And maybe share your voicemails if you have any. I feel like I hear so many people who had saved voicemails from a parent or a sibling and then something happens to their phone and they lose the voicemails. It's quite devastating. So if you are a support person who happens to have a voicemail saved on your phone, maybe record it or find, I don't know how to do this, but find a way to send it to to be able to send it and save it in some way. We've talked a lot about more digital ways Mm -hmm. of doing this emails and videos. What are some of the more Luddite legacy things that people are continuing to do? I know for a while, memory quilts were really popular where we would gather up t-shirts or other items of clothing. What other like physical items do you find families creating together? Scrapbooks are a very popular one, both with, with pictures that they use, but also drawings. The thing that's become, I think, quite popular, but also easily um, to um, access in some way is different types of narrative stories that people can just start writing and get a notebook and keeping some journals that they can pass off to their family too. Um, so, so like writing prompts and some writing way. prompts are always very popular and, and you don't need very many materials for it. You know, sometimes just the idea of having to go and buy something to make something happen feels overwhelming. It can just be a simple notebook and a pen and that's all you need. Um, jewelry, passing off fam- either family heirlooms or just jewelry that it, either the parent has felt is special to them or that they let their child choose. I had a kiddo who chose one of his dad's ties. He was only a little kiddo. He was, he was nine, you know, he wasn't wearing ties yet. He was going to have to grow into that. He was going to grow into a tie, but also I think that's really, you know, profound in that he's going to grow ultimately into a man and he wanted to be a man like his dad. And for him, that tie was symbolic of who his dad was. And that he got to choose the tie, too, not that someone just handed it to him. Right. It was what was special to him. And it ended up being a tie that he saw his dad wear to work often. So it can be, cook, like I said, cookbooks, picking the favorite cookbook um, has always been one of my favorites. I collect collect families, you know, members' cookbooks and have a legacy of of memories in in food at my house. (laughs) And so often they come with little handwritten notes on the side or maybe like the splatter of the cookie dough that's on there. They can feel very interactive. Right. And there's something really special around rituals with the holidays coming up right now. I would imagine that many, many of us have that, you know, stuffing recipe of moms or grandmas that we can't even imagine not making, you know, and part of it is it's it's tradition. It's our rituals. But it also helps us stay connected to them. You know, when we're eating that that stuffing of grandmas, we kind of feel that grandma's still there with us. You're and making I, me want to apologize to my family right now because <laughs> my recipes are steamed broccoli and whipped cream. So that's that's going to be the epitaph for me, I think. And she loved whipped cream. <laughs> and you can create your own too. <laughs> Well, Rebecca, I really appreciate you coming back on the show and sharing your insights and your wisdom and your stories from families who are facing an advanced serious illness and creating these legacy activities. 
with the newer kind of like technological ones, I'm guessing there's a couple of sites that maybe I can post in the show notes for folks to check out. We will create some links there. There are some really wonderful websites to go to with great ideas. And if you out there as a listener, if you, your family's facing an advanced serious illness, or you know someone who is, please reach out and contact us. Um, our pathways program is still pretty new, but we are aware of a lot of resources around the country as well. So you can just, I'll put how to find us in our show notes as well. So thank you, Rebecca, for being here. Thank you, Jana. And thanks everyone out there for listening today. If you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can find us on our website, dougy.org or in iTunes or Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, any other way that you get to your podcasts. And if you have an idea for a topic or something you want to hear us talk about, please email us at help at Dougie.org. And thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening. Music for today's episode was written and performed by Dr. Turtle and Lee Rosevier.